Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Michael. Oh baby, how's everybody doing? You ready for the cool air, the fall? Yeah, hunting, hunting season. season. That's right. Get back out in the like woods. This is, uh, I feel like it's becoming a tradition. We do uh, every year when, when fall hits and hunting season hits, we, we do a, a hunting-based episode. Yeah, we, we do a human hunter. Yeah, where unfortunately hunters unfortunately. get hunted by another human. Yes, yes. And this is no hunting accident either. Hope this doesn't oh, uh, no. up your paranoia for hunting season, guys. <laughs> right. This be is... careful when you're out there. You might Seriously. Be insta- you might be being stalked yourself. Who knows? Who knows? All these gentlemen thought that they were out enjoying a nice day fishing or walking a field, scoping out where they were going to hunt. They became prey. That's right. Insane, man. Yeah, so if that doesn't get you uh, get you ready for this episode enough, I don't know what will. Seriously, what else do we have to say? Nothing. Get into the intro. Let's do this. Here's another crazy story about this some bitch we're talking about this week. We like to hunt people. Out there in goddamn Ohio. One time the investigator asked him, he said, You want to see the autopsy pictures? Dylan said, "Uh, Yeah, I want to see them all. Show them to me. Investigator said, All right. Dylan said, I never saw them in color. What the hell? Investigator said, We'll show you some pictures. Dylan began flipping through the pictures. He said, Not the neatest job in the world, was it? Hmm. Investigator sat there for a minute looking at him, puzzled. He said, uh, the shooting? And, uh, no, it's not, uh, Dylan interrupted him. He said, no. I meant this autopsy. Jeez, it's a dirty job, I tell you. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Buckle up. Here we go. Okay, Google, what does the expression mailing it in mean? According to your dictionary, to deliver a performance without commitment or effort with lackluster results. Yep. Nailed it. All right, for our case this week, we're going back to rural Ohio in the 1980s. Yeah, as somebody... uh, who grew up in Las Vegas and was surrounded, uh, living in a valley and surrounded by mountains. If yeah. you've ever been to Vegas or lived here, like, I don't know, someone who grew up here, it just weirds me out when I go to flat places. And someone's like, where's the fucking mountains? I'm, I feel very exposed right now. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, when it's flat all the way. Because the valley's flat, but you're right. Every direction you look in Vegas, there's mountains. Yes. And yep. around Vegas. Yeah, everywhere is just a bowl. It's like you go from this valley to that valley. To the- <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, I see but what the, you mean. Uh, the rural counties of southern Ohio are hilly, rocky, and wide open, and in the late 1980s, it was a place where people could leave their doors unlocked and violent crime was almost unheard of. Until a certain person came of age and yes, he did. started killing random people for the fun of it. On April 1st, 1989, 35-year-old Donald Welling did what he usually did on Saturdays. He went jogging along the back roads of Tuscawaras County. This time was different, however. While jogging, he was shot through the heart with a high-powered rifle. No evidence was found, and the gun was never recovered. Local authorities could not find a motive or any evidence to help them solve this murder, and it went cold. 
that was a uh, kind of a mo for this this killer here, where he was just doing murder in a way that was damn near impossible to catch. You know, he would always pick up his shell casings. It was always random. It was always in rural areas where with no witnesses. And in the 1980s, it was already you know a little bit more difficult than now to catch him because there was way li- little to no surveillance cameras or anything like that anywhere. Right. Um, so yeah, how are you going to catch this person? Yeah, it was a it was terrifying. It was a nightmare. Yeah. Literally, yep. nobody wanted to to be out alone. And also, every murder was committed in a different county within Southern Ohio. So you're also dealing right. with uh, jurisdiction, uh, lack of communication between ju- jurisdictions. Right, right. So uh, one year, uh, over a year and a half later, 19 months later, on November 10th, 1990, 21-year-old Jamie Paxton, a steel worker, awoke just before dawn. It was a frosty Saturday morning, but Jamie had plans outdoors that day. Ohio's annual bow hunting season was in full swing, and he was not going to miss the opportunity uh, to bag a deer on that weekend. So he lived with his parents in a cozy white frame house in Bannock County, Ohio. And following breakfast, just before 7 o'clock, he uh, headed out the door with his crossbow. So he's going to go hunting for deer with a crossbow. Yeah, Um, um, because they open crossbow season earlier in Ohio. mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure most places. But yeah, typically bow season here. in general is 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 earlier than rifle season. Right, right, and and that was that was the case here. It was no yeah. rifles allowed at this point. Mm-hmm. That's why they knew that this was someone had ill intent in this crime right, right. away. Mm-hmm. So when when he got to his location where he was going to start stalking deer, he left his crossbow in the car as he walked through some tall grass unarmed. Uh, unarmed, he didn't notice that a red pickup truck had pulled up a close distance away. While walking through this field on this beautiful morning, he was shot three times by a high-powered rifle in his chest, his right knee, and his buttocks. There were no witnesses. Mm. This murder uh, was in a different county as the first one, um, at Belmont County, and it rocked the community. Hunting accidents happened every now and then, but this was clear- clearly no accident. You know, like you said, this wasn't even rifle season, and it, right. a rifle accident is typically one shot. It's one not shot, three shots. Yeah. Yeah, you don't yeah. accidentally shoot a human three times. Right. In an open uh, field. Yeah. Sheriff Tom McCord had almost nothing to work with. No shell casings or tire prints. Not even bullets themselves were recovered. So these were apparently through and through wounds from a high-powered rifle, and they, they weren't even able to recover the, the bullets themselves from the body. Mm. Uh, and after interviewing Jamie Paxton's family members and friends, they were unable to find any motive for the murder. Everyone knew that knew him, liked him, and no, you know, they were just shocked like no one would no one would want to kill jamie he was he was a good guy i really liked him he was just getting started he was only 21 years old yeah but like we've seen in the past the victim's mother uh jamie gene paxton was compelled to action so many times mothers crack cases in the in the cases we do man where they just will not give up Uh, right mother's love bro it's mother's love and again he was living at home with his parents you know what i mean Mm -hmm. they were still living every day with him Yep. Yeah, his mother had made him breakfast that morning before he went off to hunt. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Gene Paxton began sending letters to a local newspaper, the Margin Ferry Times Leader. Uh, we have some quotes from these letters that she would write, trying to get a response from the killer. She just wanted, you know, she was trying to lure him out of darkness. Um, she says, uh, every time I would sit down to write a letter, I would say a prayer. I would say, please, God, give me the right words to say to find the killer of my son. So in one of the letters, we have a quote, uh, she says, to the murderer of my son, Jamie, would it be easier if I wrote words of hate? 
I can't because I don't feel hate. I feel deep sorrow for losing my son. You took a light from my life last November and left me with many days of darkness. Have you ever thought of your own death? It'll happen unless you confess your sin and ask for God's forgiveness. You will face the fire and fury of hell at your own death. Also Damn. in one of the letters she wrote to the person that, uh, that they had Jamie's blood on their hands and no matter how many times they washed their hands, Jamie's blood would still be there. Quote, how can you touch members of your family with the hands that they've killed? Powerful words from a mother. Yes, and the, the newspaper, credit to them, would continue to publish this and try to lure this, this killer out. Right. Yeah, she's really trying to incite him. And what we you know, we know most killers are narcissistic. And you know this mm-hmm. stuff got to him oh, a little yeah. bit. It yeah. got to him. That shit planted him, because... He would eventually write back and crack this case. It would take a while, but... Right. But his murder of Jamie Paxton was one that stuck with him more than the yes. others. And you have to wonder why. And it's got to be the, mother. the fact that his mother got involved mm-hmm. and made it personal. Yep. He's seen the consequences of the lives torn apart from this senseless act that he feels like he has to do for yep. the first time. I mean, it doesn't stop him, but it sticks yep. with him. Yeah. However, initially, as she was writing and these, these letters were published in the newspaper, it, it seemed as though the killer, if reading Gene's letters, seemed to have no effect on him. Just 18 days after Jamie's murder, the killer struck again. On November 28, 1990, 30-year-old Kevin Loring from Duxbury, Massachusetts, was deer hunting in Muskegon County, about 40 miles from where Jamie was killed. Kevin was with some friends that day, which made it a little bit different than the two prior killings where they were solo, they were alone, it was kind of right. easy pickings. Kevin was had a group of friends that he was hunting with, uh, but after they all sat down for lunch, he finished first and decided to get a head start on them. And while walking across the field alone, he became prey. He was killed by a single gunshot wound to the face from a high-powered mm-hmm. rifle. All three murders at this point had been committed in different counties, making it more difficult for a connection for the, for the murders to be uh, made between the, the county's uh, officials. Um, police right, and, Ke- right. and Kevin Loring's murder decided that it was probably a hunting accident, though. Really? Yeah. Same I mean, type of murder? Well, once again, they, they're different counties, and they, didn't, they were unaware of the, the other two murders. I, it's just right, amazing right, to me, right. though, because, like, well, I don't know. This the, is all southern Ohio. These counties can't, they, they've got to be fairly close. Obviously, this dude's hunting. And like, a lot of times, we talked about the first two murders were 40 miles apart. So it's like, well, how they are, are they not getting reports of something like this happening? But then again, because they're, they're not working assuming together. Assuming they're accidents. We, we know that. You know that. County, I mean, police, uh, I mean, city police don't work together very well, much less county police. And you got to think yeah. how far these are spread out, especially the downtown police department areas of these concentrated counties. You know what I mean? They're very <clears throat> spread out. And this is also evidence early that Thomas Dillon... He must he must know something about serial killers, right? He must look be looking into serial killers in some way, shape, or form, in order to be to know that he needs to drive around to all these different counties. Otherwise, why wouldn't you just drive around in places you know? You know what I'm saying? It seems like he's he's gotten a little smarter, like he's done a little research as far yeah. as as far as this spreading these murders out like this. And he did one shot. He was probably more careful. And he took this guy out in one shot, so it could look like a hunting accident. Because I'm sure in the second murder that was reported, where he shot the guy three times, I'm sure it was reported that this was obviously not an accident. And he was like, "Ooh, well, that doesn't look good." Yeah, well, it, see what I'm saying? So I, he's don't, I don't know if he that. cared much about that because I think he assumed he was never going to be caught as long as he picked up his shell casings and there was no witnesses of him actually, you know, his truck or something like that. Um, but as far as like why he shot the dude in the head in one shot, I think he was trying to shoot Jamie. 
and kill him with one shot as well. He just kept missing. Right, I think right. he was basically using these dudes as like target practice. This is something that once we find out who this killer is and we learn more about him, that he just used all kinds of life as, as target practice as well as all sorts of different pieces yeah, of property. Street signs he was just always driving whatnot. around shooting at everything just for fun. Yeah. So yeah, he's I don't almost know like if it was a kid as much with calculated to not get caught as it was just he was just aiming for the head for fun type of thing. It sounds sick, but I think that's what it was. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. He's a kid with a BB gun, man. Yeah, he had like no that impulse control. Up. Yeah, yeah. So the police, in as we mentioned, in Kevin Loring's murder, decided that it was probably a hunting accident, and for a while that was that. Meanwhile, Gene Paxton was still writing to the killer. She, she was published frequently in the newspaper, even into 1991, nearly a year after her son's murder. Finally, she got what she wanted, a response from the killer. He wrote back using a typewriter. The letter arrived at the Martin Ferry Times leader a few days before the one-year anniversary of Jamie's death. Quote, I killed Jamie Paxton. I did not know him. I had not seen him, ever seen him before in my life, and I did not, uh, he never said a word to me on that Saturday. Quote, Paxton was killed because of an irresistible compulsion that had taken over my life to turn into a merciless killer with no, co- no conscience. I know what I, when I left my house that day that someone would die by my hand. I thought no more of shooting pa- Paxton than shooting a bottle at the dump. I'm an average-looking person with a family, a job, and a home. I was very drunk, and a voice inside my head said, do it. I stopped my car behind Jamie's and got out. Jamie started walking very slowly down the hill toward the road. He appeared to be looking past me at something in the distance. I raised my rifle to my shoulder and lined him up in the sights, It took at least five seconds to take careful aim. My first shot was off a little bit and hit him in the right chest. He groaned and went down. I wanted to make sure he was finished, so I fired a second shot aimed half between his hip and shoulder. He was crawling on the ground. I jerked the shot and hit him in the knee. He raised again and groaned. My third shot also missed and hit him in the butt. He never moved again. Quote, five minutes after I shot Paxton, I was drinking a beer and had blocked all thoughts out of what I had just done in my mind. I thought no more of shooting Paxton than shooting a bottle at the dump, like he'd already said. I know you hate my guts, and rightfully so. I think about Jamie every hour of the day, and I'm, as I'm sure you do. Quote, don't feel bad about not solving the case. You could interview till doomsday everyone that Jamie Paxton ever met in his life, and you wouldn't have a clue to my identity. With no motive, no weapon, and no witnesses, you could not possibly solve this crime. And it was, the letter was signed, The Murderer of Jamie Paxton. You know what's funny? That he says... I think no more about shooting Paxton than shooting a bottle at the dump. And then his next sentence is, I think about Jamie every hour of the day. Seriously. Yeah, there's a so bit of contradiction is there, isn't there? So which is it? Yeah. And once again, I think she humanized this person that he had dehumanized by shooting a random guy just walking through a field. The mother sending letters and talking about her son and not being uh, combative, not saying, right. you know, I'm going to find you and, and we're going to kill you or we're going to you know lock you away forever. She was saying, you know, I, I'm just so sorrowful for my son and how can you do this? How can you like live with yourself type of thing? Just guilting him. Yep. Um, may have humanized this person that he had, he had shot and um, made it to where, you know, he's now thinking about it and maybe a little bit of regret. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like he did. I feel like this murder in particular. And it's because of, yeah. it's because of Jamie's mom, no doubt. Mm-hmm. So the Belmont County Sheriff's Office now had its first lead. Gene Paxton's love for her son and her antipathy for, her, for his killer had exposed the serial killer that the authorities had no idea even existed. And when he struck again, the pieces began to fall into place. On Saturday, March 14, 1992, 49-year-old Claude Hawkins decided to go for some early morning fishing after finishing up his midnight shift at the Pittsburgh Plate and Glass Company. 
Married and a father of four, Hawkins loved fishing and had a favorite spot just below below Wills Creek Dam, northwest of Belmont, Ohio, in Coshocton Kosh, County. Coshocton. Na- nailed it. Coshocton, yeah. Coshocton. Um, so he goes fishing that morning, and he was found dead a short while later, shot in the back at close range. Since the Hawkins murder accord, uh, occurred on federal land, that was uh, a big mistake yes, by the killer. Yes, it was. Uh, the FBI would be called in and they would start connecting the pieces that these different jurisdictions hadn't done yet and realize that they had a serial killer who was randomly killing people out in rural areas. Special Agent Harry Trumbitis from the Columbus field office was one of the officers assigned to the case. He says, quote, usually you would find some type of shell casing in the area. I remember looking very hard, metal detectors, hands on knees for any shell casings in that. None were ever found. And so there was something, you know, if in fact we had somebody who was evidence conscious enough to pick up the shell casing after they had shot and killed somebody. We were dealing with a different brand of person here. So the Mm. FBI uh, was convinced that the Hawkins murder was not a solitary event just because they were so cautious as how, you know, as to leave no evidence behind. Exactly. This couldn't have been someone whose this was their first murder. And they knew that the murder was attempted at close range. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So they knew they had a very small place to be searching. And they yep. still were unable to find anything. So they, they're like, yeah, this guy is smarter. This, this is not his first offense at all. Yeah. So on March 26, 1992, in New Philadelphia, just south of Canton, officers from four counties, the Ohio Division of Wildlife, and the FBI gathered to compare notes. As the meeting progressed, the assembled officers discovered that the earliest of possible related homicides occurred on April 1, 1989. That was the first... Uh, murder that we covered jogger yes. donald welling the guy that was just out jogging on a rural road and yep. was shot apparently from a vehicle um jamie paxton's paxton's murder was also brought up and a link seemed apparent investigators concluded that the killer had been inactive for 19 months before paxton's murder in belmont they also discovered that 18 days after jamie's murder on november 28 1990 there had been another murder in duxbury that of kevin loring so the murder of Loring had been deemed a hunting accident, but there was little question now as to what had actually happened. It did not take long for investigators to realize that a serial killer was roaming the back roads of southern Ohio. So now they're, they're finally connecting the pieces and realize now the hunt can actually begin. He was just getting away with, you know, just going around doing whatever he wanted, and they were being ruled accidents or just random attacks that wouldn't occur again. Right. And, right. Uh, now, now the hunt is on. On, Oct- on the morning of April 5th, 1992, 10 days after the New Philadelphia meeting, another outdoorsman was found dead, though. Gary Bradley, a 44-year-old steel worker with a wife and three children from Williamstown, West Virginia, had been shot in the back while fishing in Noble County, adjacent to Belmont County. The serial killer had apparently struck again. In early May, five-county uh, five federal and local investigative task force was established, so... As they, as we notice with so many serial killer cases we cover, they they end up forming a, a task force, um, which is quite necessary oftentimes. Absolutely, because you have yeah. to cover the escape that the serial killer is traveling, and this mm-hmm. guy's. All you need to put over your heads together and really get a game plan to catch someone like this. Right. You know what? You I, need to start scoping out rural rural roads and and you know like really get a bunch of surveillance going and follow yeah. every lead. I'm sure they that this was considered in their re- in their research and investigation of this case, but in the documentary I watched, they never talked about how the, all of the killings were in a close proximity to a road. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like this guy was hunting people; he wasn't going out into. No, the he was woods. just pulling up. They were and all then close, aiming at them. Yeah, from there. Yeah, I feel like that helped in a way. 
I think having everything in close proximity to the road, because yeah, like you said, it's after the shot, he had to immediately get in the car, drive away. And sometimes he would dispose of the gun or immediately go and, you know, trade the gun as well. But, um, but yeah, I, I never seen any mention of that. They act like, oh, there's all this land. And I'm like, well, not necessarily. It's got to be in eyesight of the road. You know what right. I mean? All of these murders, even the fishing murders, he pulled up alongside the bank in a back road, shot them through the woods. Why they just, you know, from what it looked like to me, where I saw the overhead shots on Google and whatnot, it looked like people could just walk down the embankment right down to the river and they were fishing there or the lake, whatever. Yeah. It makes so. me wonder, it, on the Kevin Loring murder, yeah. he was the one where he was with friends and they were eating lunch. It's like, I, I, have, I have a feeling the killer didn't know he was with a group of friends. He he was driving down the road and saw Kevin come out into this field exactly. alone and assumed that he had no friends. He could have easily gotten spotted on that one. He could have left several witnesses on that one. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree, the same thing. They were probably eating lunch somewhere in the shade. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And before they got started, he took off across the field to go get his position, and he thought he was mm-hmm. by himself. Absolutely. Yeah, if anybody approached him or even looked in his direction, I think he doesn't take the shot. I feel like he's that type of killer. If anybody right. even notices him or acknowledges his existence, he's not killing him. He's like that that sleazy type of person. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know. There was one where he said that, uh, that uh, the victim had looked at him and said, what's up? And then he shot him. Really, but I think he mentioned that it's. I think we'll get some more quotes from the killer as he he continues to write to newspapers. Okay, and it seemed as though it, it maybe bothered him a little bit more that the dude seemed nice and was like just saying, "Hey, what's up?" You know, exactly. It humanized that person. It's not just yes, prey from exactly. far away, which is part of our survival kit to surviving an encounter with a serial killer. Right? Humanize yourself. Humanize. Communicate yep. with them and like make them not just another faceless victim for their for their notch on their belt. You know. Exactly. Exactly. Good advice. Yeah, so the police create this task force, and they would meet at the FBI office in Columbus, where officers from each of the five counties presented details of their cases. This so-called Hannibal Lecter squad, a group of three personality profiles from the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit in Quantico, Virginia, formed a profile of the killer, uh, concluding that he was a white male over the age of 30, a gun enthusiast, avid hunter, and owned at least several weapons. The killer would have been above average intelligence, but was introverted without many friends and would resolve personal problems in a cowardly fashion. He might have a drinking problem and engage in obscene telephone calls, arson fire, and vandalism by shooting out windows of tires or, or, or tires of vehicles. He would likely take sadistic delight in mutating, uh, mutilating and killing animals of all sorts. Stressful events would trigger his criminal episodes, which would usually be committed while he was drunk. The killer profiler said... He, quote, lived with an easy distance of the, of the slayings. Whoever killed the outs- outdoorsman, quote, did it for his own pleasure, his own satisfaction and pleasure, said Dr. Emmanuel Tenay, a professor of psychi- psychiatry at Wayne State University in Detroit. Quote, if it's pleasurable to kill dogs and cats at random, the much better prey is humans. They're, bigger, they're a bigger trophy. People enjoy killing. Let's face it. That's why they do it. So by midsummer, the, t- the task force had investigated and ruled out at least 100 possible suspects, but they were not doing not much closer to finding the killer. I think it's important, real quick, after we find out uh, much more about the killer, uh, how damn accurate this FBI profile was yet again. And it's Dude, almost like they you're like, Dude, are. Did, is this li- like is this real? Like 
did they make this afterwards after catching the killer? Sometimes I'm like, there's no way they were this fucking accurate because like that's literally a perfect description of the person that we're doing in this episode. I know, I know, and we see this often. We see this often, but it is hard to tell. It's like because they don't release any of the information until after the case. So it's like, did you have it? You just want to seem really smart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But some of this stuff ain't a stretch. You know what I mean? Like yeah, vandalism. I mean, it's what that, we had in our minds so far, right? Like if yeah. you had a, like a mental image of what this killer's going to be like, it was pretty much what they described. Right. Killing animals, being sadistic towards animals. Yeah, that all yeah. that all that shit lines up. Even arson. You know White dude with beers driving around drunk in a pickup truck shooting at right. shit. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's pretty. That's pretty easy shit right there. But yeah. the fact that. Um, where it said that he would resolve personal problems in a cowardly fashion. Now that's interesting, right? You know what I'm saying? Because you would think somebody who's like, well, all it's about a cowardly, it's and- a cowardly crime that he's committing. You know, he's true, just shooting true. randomly at people from a distance. There's no confrontation involved, right? I just think that's an interesting thing to to include in this, right? You know what I'm saying? That's it makes you makes you wonder what would have happened if one of these people had spotted him and from a distance pointing a gun at them if they would have confronted him like hey what the yeah. fuck are you doing you know like would he have yeah. still shot them or would he have like cowardly got back in his truck and drove off or something uh, didn't that happen he got spotted one time by two guys and they Did he? and he yes he got spotted by two guys that he was going to kill like close to where he uh same same scenario as the other guys that were fishing but these guys were like walking in the woods along a lake but they were hunting Mm. And they turn around, and he's pointing the gun at him. Jesus. Yeah. So he probably learned a lesson there to not target multiple people at once. Right. I think, I don't know, the way the documentary portrayed it, it was almost like he was trying to line them up with one bullet. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then they turned, and then the other guy came out from behind the other guy. You see what I'm saying? Maybe he didn't even mm. see that there were two people. Oh, yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I'm saying? And then, then the other guy stood up, and he was like, oh, shit, there's two people here. Yep. And that they that may have been what scared him off, you know, because there was the scenario like you brought up earlier where the guy did approach him, but it was just one guy. So you can silence him real quick. But when there's two, right. you you know. And also that guy didn't to... come at him with a combative uh, tone. It was, what's up, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. He was unsuspecting still. He wasn't on his guard. Yeah. So on July 30th, 1992, which would have been Jamie, Jamie Paxton's 23rd birthday, His mother, Jean, sent another letter to the newspaper. She described how she baked her son's favorite cake that day, quote, but Jamie wasn't there to enjoy it. There's a small child in our family whose biggest worry was who's going to blow out the candles on Jamie's cake. The next time there's a birthday party in your family, I hope you think of the cake on our table and know that the reason Jamie wasn't here to blow out, you're the reason Jamie wasn't uh, there to blow out the candles. Gee, Mm. she's really like pulling at the heartstrings. Let him have it. Yeah. In August, investigators concluded that the killer was not going to risk sending another letter himself and decided to go public. In a, pre- in a press release to the media, they explained that they suspected the serial, a serial killer was hunting outdoorsmen in a loose cluster in eastern Ohio counties. The headline of the Saturday, August 22nd edition of The Plain Dealer said, said quote, Slayings linked in rural Ohio. The article stated that five sportsmen had been murdered and investigators suspected a single serial sniper in their deaths. The paper also concluded uh, included a copy of the FBI's suspect profile, and this 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 FBI profile they created that we said was deadly accurate comes uh, comes up with an informant because you know they, they, basically this thing was so accurate that they put out in the newspaper someone that knew the killer was like that's I know that motherfucker <laughs> yeah yeah I know exactly I know who guy. that is yep thank God they did this because they debated going live with all this information 
Right. You know, because well, I'm sure they, they still kept leads. quite a few details close to the vest, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, probably. So an informant comes forward on August 26, 1992. Tuscawaras County Sheriff's De- Detective Sergeant w- Walter Wilson got a call from 43-year-old Richard Fry. Apparently, Fry had read the August 11, 1992 report in the newspaper, and he says, quote, I'd like to meet with you. I saw the reports about, about the task force that had been formed to solve the killings, and I just think I got the guy uh, who should be investigated as a possible suspect. The man, Fry, was nervous about coming into the station, so Detective Wilson agreed to meet with him at a private location outside of town that day. During their meeting, Fry explained that Wilson, uh, to Wilson that the profile sounded a lot like an old high school buddy of his, a guy named Tom Dillon. An employee of the Canton Water Department, in the 1970s, Fry said he and Dillon often drove around eastern Ohio together, drinking beer, shooting road signs, and committing minor acts of arson. Mm. Fry recounted really? his con- What were you going to say? I said, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, sorry, you're under uh, arrest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So you're the guy. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Fry recounted his conversation to David Knox and two other Akron Beacon Journal reporters. Quote, back in the year we graduated, we were having a problem with some other kids at high school. One of these standoffs, you throw something at my car, I throw something at your car, but nobody ever throws a punch. One night, one of the other guys kicked his car. Tom pulled out his gun and took a shot at the guy. I asked him this, quote, did you really mean to hit him? And he said, yes, I meant to hit him. I used to go out hunting with him because we were gun enthusiasts. In the beginning, it was all pretty legitimate, but then we started hitting these dumps in southern Stark County. We'd go down there hunting rats and things. I remember we ran into a couple of scraggly dogs one time. They were all diseased. They were sick. I remember they had open sores. Tom said, do you think I should kill them? And I said, well, you'd probably be doing them a favor. I remember him shooting them. I didn't think much too much about it. Wild dogs can be vicious. Then he started shooting dogs, just dogs along the road. I said, Tom, shooting a a wild dog is one thing, but that dog doesn't look very wild to me. He said, you can't let them damn things be running around. I let it go by once or twice. Then I said, Tom, you got to quit it or I won't go out with you. These are somebody's pets. Somebody loves them. It's not right to do that. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the guy. Yeah, this definitely sounds like the guy. Also, they used to discuss serial killers. So that could be a red flag as well, right? Yeah. (laughs) Fry said, we used to discuss serial killers too, especially Tom, uh, Ted Bundy. Tom was fascinated by Bundy. Um, In time, Fry said, Dylan became more sadistic. Quote, once we were driving back from Atwood Lake in Carroll County, Tom pulled off to the side of the road, pulled out his gun, and started shooting at this farmer. Apparently, the farmer was a good way off, two, three hundred yards. One of the others in the car protested, what the hell are you doing? Dylan explained that he couldn't hit a target that distance with a pistol, so I'm just plinking at him. Quote, I didn't have anything more to do with him. In fact, I'd see him someplace, and I didn't even walk, uh, didn't even wave to him or talk with him. So this this friend had written him off because this dude became so sadistic and was became becoming more and more dangerous every time they went out. It was now starting to shoot at people randomly from distance, which sounds exactly like the, the serial killer that they're trying to find. Absolutely. Man, you know this, this is guy a, was just living with this information too, just yeah. waiting like, oh my God, is somebody going to get killed if I don't come forward with this? And then he saw this write-up and he's like, I have to. He's this is an element that I love to cases that we cover sometimes where you get insider like knowledge from a person close to the killer uh, as to like their thought process and, the, and yes. their, their progression into the crimes that they do. Like this is almost like something you shouldn't get to hear, like a voyeur type of thing where it's like you, you get to hear these private conversations between the friend of the killer and the killer and like why he does the things he does. You know, it's interesting yeah. psychology here. 
especially in the formative years. You know, they're talking yeah. about when they were in high school. It's it's interesting mm-hmm. to see you see how them progress from killing a yeah. rat to killing a stray dog to killing domestic dogs to kill uh-huh. to taking shots at farmers. He's seen this whole progression He's, happen. Yes, and we get to hear it laid out. Yep. You know, from a firsthand perspective, it is pretty awesome. You rarely have that. A lot of these people, you know, they act alone all the time. I think once yep. they start doing this, they feel like they can't trust people. That's why they go mm-hmm. into this anyways. Yeah. Fry continues. He says, I ran into Dylan again in Newcomerstown in southern Tuscaroras County in about 1986. This was the first I'd spoken to him in a long time. I said, what in the world are you doing clear down here? He said, oh, just driving around, this and that. When I saw him in Newcomerstown, I thought, he's moving further south because he's up to his old ways. Mm-hmm. They moved to the Ohio Gun Col- uh, They moved the Ohio Gun Collectors Association gun show up to Cleveland, and I wasn't a member, so Dylan invited me to be his guest. He said he'd stopped killing animals, so I said, I guess we can be friends again. (laughs) (laughs) You promise. You promise, Tom. Right. Pinky promise you won't shoot any more uh, domestic dogs or shoot at farmers anymore. (laughs) Oh, my God. He says, I remember one time he and I were driving, and he said, quote, do you realize I can go out into the country and find somebody there, and there are no witnesses? You can shoot them. There's no motive. Do you realize how easy murder would be to get away with? I said, yeah, but why would you do it? On a trip to the gun show last summer, we were talking about Ted Bundy and how a guy can get away with all that. Tom said, do you think I've ever killed somebody? The question really caught me off guard. I said, no, I don't think so. And he said, that just proves how, how well you don't know me. Uh, the Yikes. way he said that to me was really scary. I'd never seen him act like that before. I thought to myself, has anybody been shot? Uh, huh. I think you know the answer to that. Yeah, Fry. I think you know that. But I would be thinking <clears throat> like, hey, bro, drop me off at this gas station up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be thinking. Yeah. I'm sure at this point, as, as as much as he said to the police, they're like, I've heard enough. Where the fuck does this guy live? <laughs> yeah, really. But they still have to get something, though. Yeah. You know. So uh, he would go on to t- say that Dylan lived with his family in Magnolia, about 75 miles from, uh, from where Jamie Paxton had been murdered. And it didn't take long for them to find ample evidence to support Fry's claims about Thomas Dylan's per- uh, penchant for killing animals and vandalism. On September 20th, 1992, a witness saw a red Toyota pickup truck similar to Dylan's near the spot where a dog had been killed in Tuscaroras County. A 25 caliber slug was removed from the animal's body. Fry confirmed that Dylan owned a 25 caliber rifle and te- Detectives Wilson's request brought it, uh, bought it from Dylan. Days later, a ballistic match was made. So now they're using this, this informant to gain a weapon from the killer that had been used um, in, in killing of random animals. Right. And they're able to make a match. So now they got something to work with. They still don't have evidence that connects him to an actual murder of a human. But um, right. a when start. Wilson ran a check on, D- on Dylan's history of firearms purchases, he learned that Dylan had bought numerous weapons from licensed federal de- uh, firearms dealers. The dealer's records showed that Dylan had bought at least 18 weapons in the last few years, including two Mausers uh, of the kind that was used to kill four of the five outdoorsmen. So now they know he's got the type of weapon that's been used in these crimes. Yep. Detective Wilson dug deeper into Dylan's past, beginning with his employment records. His 22-year record at the water, uh, the water department where he worked was good, but his criminal record was more interesting. In 1969, while still a student at Ohio State University, he had been investigated for possessing a Russian mortar military weapon. Oh, shit. My God. What would you have, like, what would you need that for? What, no. Yeah, what do you need that for, dude? How do you, where'd you get it from? I'm fucking mortar. Like, that's not even something you can go out and just like, see, people, people go, what would you need an AR-15 for or whatever? Like, there's people that just really, truly enjoy shooting things like that. I, I understand it. Also, yeah. you don't really need it, but it's also, it's like, but I want it. So I, but the mortar thing, because at least the AR, you can go out to like a gun range and you can shoot it. 
Right. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure there's any places you can go shoot a Russian mortar military weapon I don't where think it's so. legal. I don't know. I don't I think so. Wrong. But but if anybody would have it, yeah, it would definitely be Dylan. Probably some yeah. probably some war vet brought it back, lived in like rural Ohio. <laughs> he bought it from yeah. him at a gun show or some shit. Stinking flea yeah. market. <laughs> So authorities did not press charges, citing that the mortar was more of a collector's item than a weapon. Mm -hmm. uh, a second more recent and illuminating incident had occurred in August of 1991. Dylan had been cited by a game warden for illegal target practice near a state hunting area in southern Stark County. In a search of his up, pickup truck, the warden had seized a 22 caliber pistol with a silencer. Dylan later pleaded guilty to possessing an illegal silencer and was released on bond on condition that he not possess any firearms. He, he was awaiting trial... Uh, or awaiting final sentencing for that. The more yeah. the task force dug into P Dylan's past, the more likely a suspect he became. The task force began tallying uh, Dylan from the began ta began tailing him from the air and ground on mid October 1992, and they they just witnessed him doing all the things you would expect him to be doing: just drive, yeah, driving around rural it. roads, shooting at shit. During their yep. surveillance, officers followed Dylan on a weekend jaunt of 75 to 125 miles over county roads in Belmont, Harrison, Tuscawaras, Holmes, Coshton, and Carroll counties. He often stopped for a beer and would sometimes be drinking as early as 7:15 in the morning. On November 8, 1992, they got witnesses. They got they got to witness an example of his vandalism firsthand. He went on a shooting spree targeting electric meters, oil well pumps, and stop signs. He also stopped next to a car with a for sale sign on it, picked up a large rock, and threw it through the windshield. Jesus he's, Christ. He's just doing some, just just some a one man destruction shit, crew. This, this is some bullshit high school angst shit right here. What I the know, fuck? Right? Who's incredible. still doing this? That's crazy that he's still doing this as a grown man with a family. Right. Right? It's almost like he, he stopped maturing or the like the impulse control part of his brain just stopped maturing yeah, you at may, like a high school age maybe he maybe he had some head trauma that we don't know about i was gonna say we're gonna go through his his background more extensively in a few minutes but i i don't recall that there being any instances that that were reported of of head trauma but it makes you mm -hmm. wonder because he sure ha, seems to have zero impulse control yes i agree 100 <clears> percent <throat> So task force members lost uh, Dylan on his way home from Belmont County and on November 11th, 1992. But later that day, investigators discovered that numerous cows had been killed with a crossbow in Tuscaroras County. At this point, they have to go, dude, we got to arrest this motherfucker. We lost track of him and he yeah. easily could have killed more people. Luckily, he only killed some farm animals, but still, like more lives were lost because, yeah. you, you know, you didn't track him well enough. Um Authorities had been informed that Dylan sometimes used a crossbow, and of course they assumed that that was him that had killed those cows. Um, so Richard Fry helped obtain several of Dylan's arrows, and they were uh, the same model and style as the arrows re recovered from the dead cows. They would uh, follow him still to a gun show in New Philadelphia on November 21st, 1992, where he bought a 22 caliber rifle. The purchase of the gun was enough to arrest Dylan for violating his bond on the silencer charge, but there was still nothing linking him to the killings of the outdoorsmen. Investigators faced a tough decision. By waiting to arrest him, they risked losing uh, losing him and giving him a chance to kill again. And Ohio's deer season would open on November 30th, 1992, drawing more than 300,000 hunters into the woods. Oh, no. So they decided not to take the gamble, I think, wisely. Very they wisely. They would have, for sure, they would have allowed someone else to be killed. So they arrested him outside of Tuscaroras County, convenience, uh, out of, outside of a convenience store on November 27th, 1992, hoping that a search of his home would reveal some other damning evidence. Unfortunately, and I found this incredible, they didn't find anything initially. They, they searched his house, his Toyota pickup truck, camper, office, and safety department. What would they find? I mean, there's nothing to find. 
weapons from the murders, I would think. He's he's going to these gun shows frequently and tr- and changing these weapons out. Swapping he's, out the guns. Yes. Yeah. He's selling and swapping and trading guns. I bet he rarely keeps a gun that he committed a murder He probably with kills a, a person then gets rid of that gun before the next one, right? And Absolutely. doesn't hold on to it for very long. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's what he's doing, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so they search all these things and they turn up nothing. Five days later, at his bond hearing, prosecutors revealed that Dylan was the prime suspect in five killings. And the barrage of publicity that followed the Dylan's, Dylan's arrest finally gave the task force the break they needed. On December 4th, 1992, a Stark County man came forward and told investigators that he had bought a 6, 6.5 by 55 millimeter Swedish Mauser rifle from Dylan uh, at a Mazillion gun show on April 6th. So I think you're 100% mm-hmm. spot on. He kills a person with a gun, then he takes it to a gun show and swaps it out for another one. Yep. Um, the man turned in the rifle and receipt over to investigators. Ballistic tests matched the bullets recovered from Gary Brad- Bradley's gun and, uh, oh, from Gary Bradley and Claude Hawkins with the rifle. So the two victims that have been killed with that Mauser, the, the ballistics matched the gun that uh, he had had in his possession prior to selling it. Right. And on January 22nd, 1993, a Noble County grand jury indicted Dylan on two counts of aggravated murder with death, pe- death penalty specifications and his bond was set at $1 million. So they got him now. They, they at least got him for two of the, of the murders. Um, and yeah. Noble County prosecutor Lucian Young wanted to seek indictments on all five slayings, but because of publicity about Dylan, he went ahead with two, planning to file other charges at a later date. Officials at the Stark County Jail placed Dylan on homicide watch. After two strips of blanket were found in his cell, one of the strips had reportedly been fashioned into a noose, and he claimed that the strips were used to cover his eyes while he slept. Shortly <laughs> after that incident, Dylan, Dylan told a mental health counselor that he would, quote, strangle his inmate, strangle inmates if he had the chance, and he wouldn't shed a tear. So That's bullshit. He's just trying to get in solitary. Because that's all it is, right? 100%. There's no way he's going to commit that sort of uh, like personal murder like that with his bare hands. He'll, he's a coward no. that shoots from a distance at people. He'll, he'll get fucked up. He tries to strangle yeah, right? somebody in prison. Right. He just wants to get in solitary because he, he threw a fit when he was getting, after he got convicted, about going to like the most, aggre- or uh, what do you call it, the high security prison in Ohio. That's what that, it was, which, dude. That was the most gangster move on, on, yeah. Uh, on Jean, Jean Hawkins, the, the mother uh, yeah. of one of the victims, she, she, makes, she ensures, she gets a giant petition. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. But she ensures that he goes to the maximum security prison, the most dangerous Good. one. That's what he so deserves. Awesome. Yep. You want to be a hunter? Through. Here's a hunting ground for you. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Now you're in with, with, with some real beasts. That's right. So let, let's go through uh, Thomas, Thomas Lee Dillon's background here real quick. He was born in Canton, Ohio on July 9th, 1950, and shares a birthday with Tom Hanks, O.J. Simpson, and Fred Savage. Well, two out of three ain't bad. I'm a big Wonder, Wonder Years fan, so I'm a Fred Savage fan. <laughs> Fred Savage. The, the, the portrait of innocence, childhood innocence. And then you have O.J. Yep. Simpson, born the same day. <laughs> Crazy, right? Right. And then you have one of the greatest <laughs> actors ever in Tom Hanks. Oh, Tom Hanks. That's right. Who else yep. can pull off something Man, like that? And some of the most away. iconic films of our time. Yes, yes. Absolutely. That's inarguable. I remember my yeah. mom showing me the movie Big when I was a kid, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. Because it's like every kid's dream. It's like, if I look like an adult, I could do whatever the hell I want. Right. Have you seen that movie, Tom Hanks? I, it's been so long. Yeah, I think I saw yeah. it when I was a kid. Yeah, that's what. that yeah. was my first introduction to Tom Hanks. But man, the scope of films that he's done, like the different parts, that, that like he's really got range, you know, as an actor. Oh, absolutely. He's done it all. He really has. He's done comedies. He's, he's been he's a done war shit hero. Like Castaway, he's been Forrest Gump. He's been, I mean, yeah, you name it. He's done it. Yeah. Saving Private Ryan. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's done Freaking it. Freaking Castaway. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. 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 So uh, Thomas Lee Dillon, born in 1950, his father succumbed to Hodgkin's disease and died when he was 15 months old. Uh, a psychologist, Jeffrey Smalden, said that Dillon viewed his mother as a cold woman who never praised or punished him. Common yeah. thread with serial killers, right? Male serial killers, their mother being very cold um, yeah. so, and their father not being in their lives. So, it, so it she never praised this. him, but she also didn't punish him. So she was That's just almost not worse. there. That's worse. It's almost worse, right? The lack of that attention all around. You're right. That's just being cold, almost like you know, you're an inconvenience. Yep. Mm. You're right. That is worse. Because at, well, I mean, at least they punish you. They care something about the way that you're acting. Yeah. This, the, the psychologist continued, quote, Dylan has no memories of his mother ever hugging him, kissing him, or telling him she loved him. Classmates from Glenwood High School in Plain Township remembered Dylan as an extremely intelligent person, but a loner. In his 1968 senior year yearbook, it listed him uh, as having no extracurricular activities. <laughs> Shocker. A classmate named Ronald Skeleton, Skelton said, quote, he was the the, he was a person who marched to the beat of his own, of a different drum. Yeah, separated from the mainstream. Um, his well, friends his school remembered. didn't offer didn't offer arts in classes, so <laughs> he had to right. do his shit after school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. got to get it in somehow. That's right. That's right. Dylan loved to hunt. He simply liked to kill and enjoyed watching animals suffer. As a teenager, he began to count. Uh, count the number of animals that he had killed on a calendar in his bedroom. Now that's, that's a little when alarming. you start to worry. Yeah. If you find a calendar with a kill count on it in mm-hmm. your kid's bedroom, you might, might want be, to take them to therapy. You might want to intervene right here. Yeah. 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 Now's the time. No doubt. Maybe a little past the time, but mm-hmm. you should intervene. <laughs> but yeah. a, uh, you know, an absent mother who didn't give a shit probably don't even don't even know this is going oh, on. She didn't even. She was completely unaware of the calendar. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. Exactly. Following high school, Dylan attended Kent State University's uh, Stark Campus and later Ohio State University. Quote, in the summer months, we would all hang out at Willow Springs Swimming Pool on 55th Street, said a man who remembers Dylan. I just ran around with him a couple years. We all drank together. I never saw him shoot a gun, but I, I heard other people talking about him. Ah, crazy Dylan went out, went out drinking and he was shooting a pistol at this window or he shot the windows out of a school. I heard things like that a couple of times. Thomas Dillon would go on to graduate from Ohio State in 1972 and went to work as a draftsman for the Canton Water Department. In 1978, he married wow. Catherine Elsis, a nurse from Alliance, Ohio. Or were you kind of surprised that he got a, a degree? And I am from got the kind of a Ohio job. State. From the yeah. Ohio State. They, wow. Everybody said he was very intelligent, as are many of the serial killers we've covered. That's true. That is very true. That's how they know to cover their tracks. Yeah. Yeah, so as I briefly mentioned, in 1978, he married a woman, Catherine Elsis, uh, who was a nurse from Ohio. By the early 1980s, uh, he began boasting to friends that the count of his death calendar had reached 500. He had also attended Ohio, Ohio's peace officers training in Lawrence Township in Stark County, where he graduated with expert marks, marksmanship. Of course, he's a peace officer, right? Right. It's a, such a common theme. Like, you see, he's very BTK-esque. You know, where he's got a family at home, he's living this normal life, he but is. also he wants to be like an authority figure while simultaneously committing random acts of violence and arson and shit like that. Right. Yeah. He wants to be respected, but also be impulsive and do what the hell he wants. It's like if Dwight from, from The Office was evil, you know, instead yes. of just a, a dork. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then like this undeserved confidence, I guess, as well, he has. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Become an expert marksmanship 
in the peace officers. You know what I'm saying? It's not like it's, yeah, right. It's not like you're an army ranger or anything. I don't know, but I'm sure he wore this as a badge of honor, and that's just what he needed to boost his confidence with a with a firearm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. The irony of, of being called something like a peace officer while having a kill count uh, calendar with 500 marks on it. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of an oxymoron there. <laughs> Break time. But don't worry. It's not all ads, baby. We also got a great podcast recommendation. Wife of Crime. Check it out. Hey, everyone. My name is Jess, and I'm the co-host of a weekly true crime podcast called Wife of Crime. Every week, I tell my husband one of my favorite true crime stories, and he reacts to them. Sometimes I get mad at him. You're going to really regret all of this judginess that you're doing right now once I tell you this story, because you're being very judgmental. Obviously, something bad's going to happen. She's making a lot of bad decisions. Well, you're being very judgmental. Stop. And sometimes he makes really weird noises. Ah! He now thinks that he's an FBI profiler. Yeah. How about that? Rust a profile of placebo effect. (laughs) But most of the time, he just has really funny color commentary. Wow, so he's sitting in his human leather chair, eating fruity pebbles out of a skull. (laughs) You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on Instagram at Wife of Crime Pod. What's up, creepers? Let me tell you about today's sponsor, Noom. Making the world a healthier place. It's like having a trainer, a nutritionist, and a health coach with you at all times. Noom is unlike anything you've tried. They use a psychology-based approach. Instead of strict rules, they empower you with the knowledge to build smarter, more sustainable habits. Noom helps to reshape your relationship with eating, often asking you not just what you're eating, but why you're eating it. Everybody's journey is different, so Noom customizes a program for you based on your personal goals. I've been using the app for a few weeks now, and I noticed a big change in my behavior. Every day, just checking in with my noon professional and having my my goals set that I look at every that's a big part of life, just having goals set and written down that you look at. And uh, you, you know, you track your weight on there, you track your diet, you think about why you're doing the things you're doing, and it starts to change your behaviors. It's nourishing instead of restrictive. Uh, one beautiful thing about Noom is that no food is totally off limits. I can't stand the idea uh, of diets that say you'll never eat said thing again, um, something that you love. You know, Noom uh, allows you to still continue to eat the things you love um, while learning to maintain a healthier balance with these things. Also, an off day here or there is okay and won't set you off course. Noom will gently get you back on track. The app only asks for about 10 minutes of your day to teach you about your eating habits and check in on your progress. Noom's entire platform is built upon two things, research and wanting to help people lead healthier lives through behavioral change. Their team of behavioral health experts have PhDs and master's degrees in fields including psychology, integrative medicine, and neuroscience. But even though they're all about evidence-based science, they're also passionate about creating a more empathetic approach to creating a healthier life. So sign up today for your trial and get psychology-based support and motivation to reach your goals at noom.com creeper. Once again, Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash creeper. It's never too late to get started toward a healthier life. What's up, creepers? Let me tell you about one of our favorite sponsors, Simply Safe. When Simply Safe Home Security's founders, Chad and Eleanor Lawrence, designed their first security system in their kitchen, they did it for a very personal reason. Their friends had just had their home broken into. They were struggling to find a security system that was simple to set up and would make them feel safe again. Making people feel safe is what Simply Safe has been doing ever since that moment 15 years ago. And I can say from experience, I've had my home broken into, uh, my first home that I ever owned, and it was a terrible feeling. Um, 
In the home I'm currently living in, I set up my own Simply Safe security system. Uh, I have sensors on all of my doors, all of my windows. I have a motion sensor in my basement, and I sleep like a baby at night knowing that if someone were trying to open my kid's window or was trying to uh, go in through my basement door and was, was wandering around in my home at night, that the alarm would be set off and that help would be on the way. Simply Safe has a passion to protect people that not only drives every engineering detail in its products, but it motivates every interaction with its customers. And the thing is, Simply Safe just makes it so easy. It takes about two minutes to customize a system on their website, simplysafe.com slash creeper. Simply Safe has highly trained security experts ready whenever you need them, whether that's during a fire, a burglary, a medical emergency, or even when you're just setting the system up. There's always someone there who has your back to keep you safe and make sure you feel safe. As True Crime Guys listeners, you can save 20% on your Simply Safe security system and get your first month free when you sign up for interactive monitoring service. Just visit simplysafe.com/creeper to customize your system and start protecting your home and family. That's simplysafe.com/creeper. So in the mid-1980s, several of Dylan's neighbors complained to the police because he was killing their dogs. Quote, Dylan was a bad hunter, said a man who hunted with him for several years. He would shoot at farmers' cats after getting permission to hunt on their land. He just didn't care. He once boasted of killing a deer caught in a high water, uh, high water, uh, in high water while crossing a river. He brought the deer home without field dressing it. He gutted the carcass in his yard and make it, made a mess of it, the hunter said. Quote, Dylan didn't seem to understand the, con- the concept of friendship either. He never offered to do a favor or ask for one. It was always a trade. He said, I'll do this if you do that. He never talked about women. He never mentioned his wife and love in the same sentence. He said he, always, he's, he was always changing guns and carrying weapons even while he rode a bike. Hmm. The hunter had estimated that Dylan fired approximately 1,000 rounds a year in target practice. He shot so often that he had permanently damaged his hearing. Quote, he seemed to get a physical thrill out of killing. He once used a knife to finish off a wounded groundhog. He was shaking. He was in a frenzy, wild-eyed. This is just, that's just terrible. Like, I don't know if I'd ever a go groundhog? hunting. groundhog? Like, calm down, pal. Yeah, I'm never going hunting with this guy again after witnessing any of these things. No. Oh, my God. A guy that wants to get his hands dirty and finish off a groundhog with a knife, that dude's got a little bit of pin-up aggression, I'm going to say. Yeah, he fits all the, the the bad stereotypes of what some people who are anti-hunter think of hunters. They think that you know all hunters are like this, and it's this is not it's not the reality. Oh, exactly. Yeah, this most is hunters very, deeply very care about wildlife conservation and care about you know the animals, and uh, it's about population control of animals and things like that. And it's it's done in a humane way if it's done properly. You know, right? One clean shot, and then the animal is the animal's body is taken care of and and consumed over time. Much like the meat we get from the grocery store, right? This right. this is a terrible example of a hunter. This guy, obviously, yeah. He's Which is why most chaos. of the actual hunters he hunted with never hunted with him again after witnessing this shit. Oh yeah, obviously. So they had to fear for their own safety. Yeah, not only that, they, they just to. like viewed what he was doing as as terribly wrong to do the stuff he was oh. doing to these animals. Oh yeah, morally, yeah. You can't. You don't yeah. want to be a part of this anymore. So Dylan's family family members apparently hadn't witnessed his dark dark side. And they were shocked by his arrest. His mother-in-law was a big supporter of his. Anne Elsis, a retired high school teacher and guidance counselor, refused to believe that her son-in-law was capable of murder. Quote, Dylan is a witty, kind man who has always had a thing for guns, she said. So his, uh-huh. gun, his, his gun thing was just kind of a little quirk in his personality, but not, oh, okay. you know, not, not to be concerned of. Right, right. What about the mortars? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
What about all the, the, the <laughs> what about all the, the fires he started and all the bodies that that uh, have amassed yeah. in his calendar with five hundred marks? What on about it? the five hundred animal death count calendar? What about that <laughs> that he brags about to everybody? What about that? So, such a kind man. He just has a thing for guns. Yeah. Uh, she said that her daughter Catherine worked as a nurse uh, and would rely on her faith of God to get her through the ordeal. "Quote: My stomach is churning." She confided. I have to keep my spirits up for Kathy. Maybe part of me wants to deny this. Tom has always been pleasant. He was always joking. He seemed like a son to me. We were a very close-knit family, she said. Mm. Meanwhile, on February 9th, 1993, 100 spectators gathered outside the Noble County Courthouse as Dylan, handcuffed in shackles, was escorted inside. The proceeding was short, and Dylan pleaded not guilty to murders in the deaths of Gary Bradley and Claude Hawkins. A third murder charge was filed against Dylan on May 22, 1993. He was charged with aggravated murder and the death of Jamie Paxton. Quote, this is what we've been waiting for for the last two and a half years, said Gene Paxton. It looks like ends in sight. Final. So she's finally getting some closure to her son's death. She finally gets a face to this monster that killed her son and has been writing these letters back, taunting her, saying that he'll never get caught. She finally gets to see what he looks like. I bet she's got some anger towards him now. Oh, for sure. You know, it's it's easy to say, like, I don't have any anger or resentment towards somebody when you don't know their face. You have mm-hmm. no idea who they are. You can't put a face to that anger, but now she can. Yep. Hmm. Just four days after being having been charged with Paxton's murder, Dylan was sentenced to three years and ten months in prison, the maximum on unrelated federal firearms charges. Before he could be tried for three capital murders, Dylan placed a call from jail to a television reporter on July 3rd, 1993, and confessed to the murders. A similar call had been placed to an Akron Beacon Journal reporter. Quote, I have major problems. I'm crazy. I want to kill. I want to kill. The following day, his attorneys put together a plea bargain in which he would confess to all three murders on the guarantee that he would not receive the death penalty and that no further charges would be brought against him. Dude, his attorneys... It's kind of messed up because he killed more than three. So, like, you're now... If you take this plea... You accept this plea bargain on it, you know, that's being offered up, you're not getting closure for the other murders, you know? Right, right. I was just going to say, his, his attorneys have got to be like, what the fuck? Like, you mm-hmm. called the goddamn news. <laughs> you called the television reporter. It's like, and well, I guess, we're doing, I guess we're doing a plea bargain now, motherfucker. Like, right. Wow, you really, really shot us in the foot there. Just when I thought you couldn't be any dumber. And dude, we see like that this. so often in these narcissistic killers. They want to take control over everything. Oh, yeah. That's all they it was, to, right? Yes, they want to take control of everything. And they think they know best. And they're like, oh, I'll be way ahead of them. And... Just like I'm the other Thomas we covered recently, who's at the Thomas prison Randolph. down the road from me. Thomas yep. Randolph, yes. Same way, dude. Same yep. way. One to control everything, and it just it ends up fucking them over in the end. Yep. But I guess that's what they deserve. Yep. To the reporters, Dylan described one of his sniper murders, the shooting of a man he'd never met before. Quote, how far away was he from you when you shot him? Shot him? An investigator asked. 75 feet, maybe, Dylan asked, or answered. Investigator, where did you shoot him at? Dylan, right between the eyes. Investigator, is that where you aim for? Dylan, yes. Investigator, did you walk up to him and look at him? Quote, uh, Dylan, no, didn't come close. Investigator, but you're sure he was dead? Uh, Dylan, yeah, yeah. His hat blew straight up about 20 feet. I knew I, I had to blow his whole head off. Mm. Investigator, you only shot two times. There were no misses in that particular shooting. Dylan, never miss. Investigator, never miss. Dylan, never miss. Investigator, basically you're a pretty good shot. Dylan, that's why we're here, isn't it? Oh my God! What oh, an arrogant fuck piece this of shit. guy up, right, dude? Like, as I, like, I hate you so much more just because of that little fucking conversation. I'm so glad you included that. Oh my God! Yeah. Like, that's great. That's why we're here, right there. isn't it? 
because I'm such a good shot. No, because you're a sadistic piece of fucking scum. That's why we're here. <laughs> That's why we're here. There's much better marksmen than you, you fuck. <laughs> yeah, you They just don't go around killing random fucking animals and people. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, my. <clears throat> Unbelievable. In his confession, he said that he'd shot the first victim 13 years earlier. It was a man sitting at home watching television. Quote, so this guy uh, with his back to the picture window of his house, he was sitting on the sofa. So this was, this thought came to me. He said, stop, back up, and shoot this guy. So I shot him through the picture window, Dylan said. Why, did, oh uh, why open fire, Dylan told officers, uh, that in some shootings, a voice in his head told him to take aim. Quote, this sort of voice in my head, go back and get him, go back and get him. I took my rifle, went down there, jumped the guardrail, went down to the, through the pine trees and shot him in the back. So just putting you in his, in his own thought process here. Yeah. I hate the voice in your head thing. The voice in your head is just you. I mean, that's not someone else. It's you. It's just, it's just you, man. You wanted to do it, and now you, you, know, you told yourself to do it. Yep. yep. Whether you hear it audibly or not is irrelevant. Lots of people hear their voice inside their head audibly. I talk to myself all the time. That's me right. talking to myself. It's, it is what but it is. even when you're not talking to yourself you're still talking to yourself in your mind right you hear you hear yes. a voice whether it's i have arguments or, with myself on days yeah. where, I, where i need to work out where i'm not feeling like it it's like just go down there and do it pussy like you know right I mean? like, exactly just fucking do it <laughs> yeah and that's what he's and that's what he's dealing with you know but it's yeah. the other end he's given in to the id yeah. instead of doing something disciplined he's just giving right. into it that's right blaming it on a voice so on july 12th 1993 thomas dylan entered his pleas before judge john now in Noble County Common Pleas Court. He showed no emotion as he answered, quote, guilty to each charge. Under the plea agreement, now sentenced Dylan to life in prison with no chance of parole for 165 years, the max sentence. Jean Paxton, um, the mother uh, that we've talked about so much, yes. uh, said she was relieved when the case was over. Quote, today is the beginning of the end for Thomas Dylan, she said. Nonetheless, she was upset that Dylan showed no remorse. Quote, we were given a life sentence the day he decided to kill our son. Uh, I think he's a pathetic coward. He's taken the coward's way out of everything. Yep. At 7 o'clock the next night after the sentencing, pa the Paxton's telephone rang. It was Thomas Dillon. That son he of a bitch. He still wasn't done communicating. He had to call. It's this weird thing. Oh, he almost course. needed he, like he almost needed approval from Gene Paxton. Doesn't it I'll, feel like that? Yes, that's how nar narcissists are. They don't want people to dislike them. Right. Like, what? No one can dislike me. Let me call her up. She just needs right. to talk I can, to me. I can turn her. I can, yeah. I can flip her around, even let though me, I murdered her son in cold blood. And right. Let me explain the process. Let me explain the process. You know, it'll make yeah. her feel better. He told Gene Paxton that her pathetic coward comment had hurt him. Oh, poor, oh. <laughs> poor Thomas. Oh, my God. She says, that's what you are, Thomas. Uh, and if you start with your cocky attitude, I will hang up. I've heard enough <laughs> of that for the past several months. I'm not yeah, interested I'd... in what you have to say, but there are things I want to say to you, Thomas. Have you ever heard the expression, tears are the safety valve of the heart? He had not. So she talked about repentance and prayer. Quote, quit your profanity, stop the looping, simmering, uh, simpering in front of the cameras, and pick up the Bible before it's too late. She said Paxton continued to speaking, speaking to her for an hour, finally concluding, quote, we've spoken long enough. I can't hate you, but I can't ever forgive you for what you've done to our lives. Um... And in July 1993, Dylan would admit to setting 160 fires and committing other acts of vandalism in the eastern Ohio during the preceding five years. Noble County Sheriff Landon Smith estimated that Dylan's fires caused more than $2 million in damages. The fires were set in Coshton, Belmont, uh, Gersney, Carroll, Colum Colum Columbiana, and Tuscawaras counties. 
I'm sure I butchered all those county names if you're in, in Ohio. <laughs> I'm sure you got a good laugh at that. Yeah. <laughs> Give us um, a break. You yeah. Got a lot of counties up there. Yeah. And there's some bizarre county names out there. Yeah. Coshocton? Coshocton? Yeah. yeah. Um, Dylan, would, uh, Dylan pleaded with authorities not to be sent to Ohio's toughest facility, uh, the maximum security prison in Lucasville in November 1993. Quote, if I go to Lucasville, I'm a dead man, Dylan said. Yep. When This is the most gangster shit I've ever heard on our show. When the news of this comment reached Jean Paxton, she collected 8,000 names on a petition and ensured that Dillis, Dylan uh, went to Ohio's toughest facility in Lucasville. Uh-huh. <laughs> he shouldn't have said that Oh, you don't want to go there? Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And, so much and for so, not harboring a little bit of hate there, Mama Jean. Nah, rightfully so. Rightfully so, it. though. You know what I'm saying? Love it. She deserves yeah. that. Yeah. So does he. And uh, he would not be killed uh, in Lucasville, uh, and he would die of natural causes in uh, October of 2011. He died in the prison wing at the Corrections Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio, at age 61 after being yeah. ill for nearly three weeks due to an unspecified illness that we only can hope was painful. I was about and to say, at least he suffered for three weeks, hopefully. Yep. That's good. That's good. He doesn't even deserve the quick death that his victims got. You know what I'm nope. saying? He nope. deserves to fucking suffer. Yep. Too bad he didn't get the shit beat out of him and killed like freaking Dahmer or whatever. Well, hopefully he got, uh, you know, he got bent over a few times while he was in, in that maximum security prison and oh yeah, uh, had to suffer and get beat up a bunch of times and all that. So. Yeah, I'm sure it changed his perception a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Probably thought he wasn't wasn't quite the god that uh, he once was. <laughs> yeah. So that's our case, wow. Tom, Thomas Lee Dillon. Be careful out there if you're a hunter this this hunting season. Uh, that's keep right. an eye out for for other hunters. Wear orange and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, wear unscented deodorant. Although, oh if you wore orange, you, that actually would have made you more of a target for a motherfucker like this. He would just yeah, spot you exactly. easier. That's what I was thinking. He that's exactly what he's looking for. He's actually looking for orange. But yeah, that's still good advice, though, you know, because you like to think that most hunters aren't trying to kill people. Right. But but yeah, uh, but if you are going hunting, you're going to you're gonna need something to keep you dry. You don't want to be smelling that B.O., but... And you know, uh, Oh My Guy has a great unscented option as well, exactly. so you won't tip yourself off to the deer. Exactly. That's what we're looking for, guys. If you don't know what Oh My Guy is, it's an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, there's tons of scents to choose from. From, like we said, or you can get unscented, if that's what you prefer. But if not, you can get vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, uh, bergamot amber, barbershop, pear. Uh, what else do we got, Lauren? Sweet pea. There's, there's so many scents, and there's always new ones being added at ohmygaia.com. Oh, and also, we have our very own scent called True Crime Pine. Can't forget that. Made especially for true crime guys. But you can get these any of these scents, as well as scented oils and beard oils, at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com, or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. And because you guys are true crime guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off. I've been it, rocking guys. coconut. I got some coconut recently, and it's mm-hmm. it, it's absolutely my favorite now. I feel like it's even lighter, if uh-huh. that's possible, because oh my guy is already so light. But the coconut just it smooths it, it just goes right on like butter, and yeah. it smells fantastic. Love it. I, I almost don't want to use anything else. I love the coconut. Oh, wow, 
coconut guy now. Okay, I hear you. I am. Become I a coconut you. guy. Well, hey, what, whatever works for you, man. I've been right. I've been wearing some Sailor lately. I really like Sailor. All right, that's a, that's a classic. Mm. That's a good one. I keep Sailor on tap as well as Egyptian Musk and of course some True Crime Pine. Got to have some True Crime Pine on it. That's right. Use our code word when you buy your Oh My Gaia, man, definitely. And, uh, That's right. And Creeper. if you make a purchase through Oh My Gaia, uh, you can also request some samples to try other stuff. And Wendy will be very kind to oblige you to send up some little cup samples of other scents if you're interested. Absolutely. If you make a purchase. Don't ask for samples if you haven't ordered anything. That's just rude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's hard, on, that's hard on the small business as well. Yeah, for sure. You've got to be considerate about that. All right. Uh, let's let's take a moment to thank everybody who's gone and rated and reviewed the show over the last couple of weeks. Last week, if you didn't notice, we'll talk about Patreon in a minute, but we we didn't put an episode out on the free feed because we did a Patreon episode. So we have two weeks of reviews to cover real quick. Oh, my. Uh, I want to say thank you to V. Blossom from Australia, mate. All right. Says, uh, just another freeloader. New phone equals another five-star review. Love you guys. Oh, so V. Blossom apparently has already given us a review and is doubling oh. down. Gotta love it. Right on. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. And then we got... Uh, Aunt Kimmy uh, from the U.S. just put fire emojis and five stars. Thank you, Aunt Kimmy. That's Hell how yeah. you do it. Appreciate it, Kimmy. Okay. Uh, this one I love. We got Twink ZZZZ from the U.S. said, hmm, I didn't love it at first. I gave yeah. it another shot. Pretty good. And gave us a four-star review. I respect that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, You should take fine. that approach with every show. You should at least give it a, a few episodes. You know what I mean? People have yeah. bad episodes all the time. And then you ask yeah. that podcaster, oh, what's your favorite episodes? They might have like two or three, yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, you definitely got to give them, you got to give podcasts a chance. You got to give it time right. to understand the host and who they are and what they're about. But I we, mean, yeah, we appreciate that. Uh, admittedly, not every episode we put out is our best. You know, like no. we have, we, we, we get done sometimes we're like, ah, eh, that was all right. Eh. And then other yeah. times we, you know, have, we just get done and we're like, that was, that was awesome. Um, so, I yep. mean, you may have just picked one of those episodes for the first one to listen to that we were like, eh, I don't know. Exactly. And you should take that, like I said, you should take that approach with every show. Yeah. Because when you're doing something as consistent. A a real try. Exactly. Because when you're doing something as consistent as on a weekly basis, you're going to have episodes that that you're just not feeling. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. All right. Uh, All right. Let's continue on. We got Paige CS from the US said, nice podcast with relatable, funny hosts. Gave us a five-star review and wrote a really long, nice uh, article about us. Thank you very much. I'm not going to read that whole thing, but we, we read through it. Thank you. Thank you so and much. And we got uh, Carly in Sweden said, cool. A plus, great chemistry between the two hosts and equally good storytelling. Thank you, Carly from Sweden. Yeah, thank you. We got a good variety of countries in here. This uh, We right. got Tarek33 from Canada said, my true crime guys, five stars. Well done, guys. Just discovered you through Alyssa from Serial Killing. I love the music and the mild atmosphere of voices and shared opinions. Thank you very much. And thank you, Alyssa right. from Serial Killing for... yes talking about us apparently and getting us more listeners appreciate right that go check out serial killing podcast guys yeah right on. and then we got salty sarah 530 from us uh just gave like a little blushy face uh and five <laughs> stars with fire emojis so thank you salty sarah 530 then we got just me 1974 from the u.s said just what i was looking for five stars came here looking for something new slash interesting on the chris watt case And I always wish there was kind of a dark humor, sarcastic, something that could make me laugh at this guy, mock him a bit in a funny way. (laughs) And apparently we accomplished that for them. That's our our specialty, is really shitting on the serial killers and not propping them up. No, no, no. No, no, no. We do not do that. We do not do that. Well, that's cool. That's a cool review. We got Dr. Dies in the U.S. said, fantastic true crime podcast, five stars. They do a great job with detail and levity. Highly recommend. Thank you. 
We got Willow River 1315 in Great Britain said, great podcast, one of my favorite true crime podcasts. I think I was Jolly a little bit more Australian. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's a fine uh, line for you. That's all right. Yeah. We're out of practice. We got to do some more foreign cases. You know, we got to right. break in those accents again. We got Amber G. Field in the U.S. said, uh, black heart, fire emoji, been binging for the last week and a half and have less than 20 episodes left. Y'all keep me laughing and entertained. Oh and we got one more. Up. Much love, 333 from Canada said love this pod five stars entertaining and informative with exactly the right levels of disdain and respect that's oh, beautifully said you. we can almost put that on a shirt the Seriously. right levels of disdain disdain and respect <laughs> we should just put that as our as our podcast description seriously right wow thank you cuz we do much. show a proper amount of disdain for the the killers and mm-hmm. the proper amount of respect for the families of the victims i believe i, d- I that's believe at least too. what we try to do we strive for that we don't always succeed but we try that's yeah that's definitely in the forefront of our minds coming in though all right, guys. All right. Well, thank you so uh, much. Let's talk about Patreon review. real quick because that's it. where we were last week, if you were wondering. Patreon.com slash True Crime Guys. $2 a month gets you access to all of our premium episodes that we only do once a month on the Patreon yep. feed. Um, uh, last week, we, we covered the Bath School Disaster or the Bath School Massacre is what we decided it should be called. Yes, uh, should. One of uh, America's first uh, domestic terrorism uh, bombings. Just yep. a terrible case where and al- almost 40 children were killed. We really covered that one in detail um, and got into the mind of this sadistic fuck that did it. Um, Yep, That was fun. And every week also, if you go to the $5 tier, we do uh, an episode of Just the Banter. Every Friday, we put up uh, anywhere from 40 minutes to over an hour episodes where we just get on there and and talk about any any and everything that people want us to talk about. They write us questions and we answer them. And it's, uh, yeah, no, almost nothing about crime. Just uh, sometimes they do send us a uh, hypothetical this killer versus this killer type of thing. Like this past episode, we had uh, Aline Warnos versus... Uh, Catherine Knight. Catherine Knight, yeah who, yeah, who we thought would win in that one. So you got our interesting take on that. <laughs> yeah, lots of fun questions like that. There's usually like 10 to ten to 15 questions per episode. So, yeah, uh, yeah. You, and they're they're not easy questions either. Usually they're ones that take a little bit of thought, a little bit of consideration. But yeah, I look forward to just the banter every week. It's a good time. And a heads up, next week is going to be, uh, you're going to get a taste of what's to offer on Patreon because I'm going to be out of town next weekend and we're not going to be recording an episode, unfortunately. So you're going to get uh, a release of an old, old Patreon episode, probably two and a half year old episode from Patreon. So those patron supporters, don't be upset, please. Um, You know, we, we... have been very very consistent we're going to continue to be consistent and we're not putting out anything recent in patreon we just feel the need to put out something for your for the uh the freeloaders this week so absolutely absolutely yeah. all right uh anything else oh yeah and if you're already a patron you're already caught up on true crime guys i know you might be a little disappointed but we have a whole other show you know strange and unexplained wherever you listen uh, new episodes are released on Mondays, and if you're caught up on that, there's also a Patreon for Strange and Unexplained, patreon.com slash podcast, where I release um, another show on Mondays as well on there called Strange Shorts, and then every other Saturday, I do Higher Thoughts. And then, just like with True Crime Guys, we have one uh, special episode every month that is Patreon exclusive, and that is entitled Sandu Stories, where it's like a more elaborate, almost like a radio show like you're listening to an audiobook almost, like a well-produced, or at least I hope you think it's well-produced, audiobook, and uh, with different voice actors and sound effects and things to set the scene and mood. So that's all at patreon.com slash podcast. 
wherever you listen. And guys, right below the description of this episode, just like every single episode, you will see True Crime Guys link tree right there. It says in big letters, everything True Crime Guys. Click that link tree and you'll see everything we have to offer in True Crime Guys productions from our YouTube channel to our Spotify album to um, our link to our podcast on Spotify, our merch, anything True Crime Guys, you can find right there. All right. All right, that about does it. Thank you guys. We will see you in two weeks, I suppose, because putting out the Freeloader series episode next week. Yep. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for all the support. Keep creeping. Have a good week. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.